This is the History of the World podcast, Illuminati Debrief. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. I've created some weird music, haven't I, over the years? What happened to the, the good old days, volume one, where we had a nice theme tune? We've, we've gone off and made some really bizarre stuff, haven't we? So like, maybe I'll have to concentrate on volume five and making that a, a good intro music. Um, I think, though, um, volume five, we're, we're going to be like, so 2024, I think, is going to see the conclusion of volume four. So it will, at the current pace, it will run um, for the rest of 2024. We've got a number of topics still to talk about we're we're very close now to discussing the mongol empire and uh, chinggis khan um we'll be looking at marco polo's travels as well that's a, another interesting story the the innovation of gunpowder of course we're we're still living with the consequences of the the creation of gunpowder on a global scale then we'll be going to Southeast Asia and the South Pacific and looking at um, uh, the the early or the medieval kingdoms of Indochina and uh, Austronesian expansion, the Maori of New Zealand, Easter Island. Um, before we go to the Americas at the conclusion of 2024 and look at um, some of the um, the pre-Columbian. Uh, cultures, the direct the, the cultures that are directly pre-Columbian of uh, South America, Middle America, Central America, and uh, North America. But then also before we do anything else um, in terms of going forward in the volumes, uh, there are aspects of Sub-Saharan Africa that are really starting to become important during the medieval period. So we have to introduce the African continent in. So. We'll be looking at staying in volume four for the rest of the 2024 uh, before we go on to volume five. And, um, you know, maybe um, we'll revise it again so that the, the the episodes are coming out with a bit more regularity, a bit more frequency as they once were. Um, so we might be able to speed it up a little bit. But um, certainly volume five will be a smaller volume than volume four because we're covering... Uh, a smaller time period really the medieval volume is almost an entire millennium of history which is why this is such a monster of a volume uh, it might turn out to be the biggest volume of the of the of the entire lot of all seven so um, that's just a bit of information about what's coming up in 2024 for you all um, normally what I do for those of you who haven't listened to an Illuminati debrief in the past I normally discuss the um, the sources, the information sources that I've used to present the episode that you probably have just listened to. So with the Tang China um, episode, I found that I was quite heavily reliant on 
a book which um, is written by an author who I've who I've um, sort of referred to his work in the past. He's he's written a, a great work about Indian history, very similar to the book that I used to help me to write this episode, um, and it's by John Key. John Key uh, is a British author um, who was, I think, born in the 40s, the early 40s. Um, And um, he wrote a book called China, A History, which is a wonderful uh, chronological view of China. He's also got um, a book which is also in my collection about India, um, very similar. So he's written books about India and China and the the national histories of, of both countries and um, this book I found extremely um, important in terms of writing a good episode about the Tang Dynasty. Um, but it would be remiss of me to not refer to the other books which I dipped in and out of. So I think John Key's book was probably the, the main uh, go-to book for me um, when uh, writing this episode. I did also um, get some guidelines and guidance from Arthur Cottrell's Asia, a Concise History. Um, I did dip in and out of uh, Bamba Gascoigne's uh, book, The Dynasties of China. And um, there are a couple of books that like sort of real epic books, you know, like sort of several hundred pages long. In fact, one of them by uh, Simon Seabag Montefiore um, is called... Uh, the World of Family History uh, is well over a thousand pages long. It's huge. Um, and I can sometimes find interesting little uh, tidbits of information that I can pop into the podcast from that. Also, um, forgive me, I have to turn around and look at them all. Um, Chris Harmon's A People's History of the World um, is also one that I can sort of dip in and out of and find interesting sort of additions to add to the text of the uh, of the episode itself, of the podcast episode itself. Um, I generally, in terms of getting a good uh, chronological timeline and, and, pay, and filling in the gaps, it's very difficult. And, and I'm going to move on to this in this little um, Illuminati debrief. Um, I'm going to move on to that very subject of, um, you know, how these episodes are now being constructed now that we're in a medieval period. Um, It's not an easy thing to do. And um, I'm heavily dependent on sites like Wikipedia and Britannica in terms of um, attaching bits of history to each other. So understanding how different um, events happen are linked to each other and so I'm often clicking through pages to to sort of almost Wikipedia pages I'm tra- triangulating them with each other to confirm the veracity of the information that I'm reading as well but like Britannica does such a good it's got so many articles on Britannica with a sort of a brief overview so it's one of the biggest things in terms of writing about Chinese history is my own lack of understanding and uh, sites that give you general overviews can really help with your understanding so that you're writing with some element of authority. So um, that's really how I put these episodes together. But there's no two ways about it. Um, Writing about medieval history is difficult. 
There are numerous resources and not all of those resources look to do what I do, which is give you a chronological story of what was going on. So when I sit down and write an episode about the Tang Dynasty, my aim is to um, is to take you on a journey from the beginning of the Tang to the end of the Tang. And a lot of resources don't, especially when it talks about medieval nations, doesn't really take you on a chronological journey. It really just um, gives you um, aspects or gives you overviews of aspects, so cultural aspects or political aspects and the development of those things alone, which is very difficult for me to um, refer to them when writing a chronological history. So whereas before... Um, uh, in previous volumes, many of the sources write a chronological, there's only one way to really write about it, the chronological history of the Akkadians, for example, the the, the ancient societies. Um, because we don't know a great deal about the politics or about the intricacies, the trade intricacies or or those other things, the cultural intricacies, we don't really know anything or enough about them to be able to write with them. So anyone that writes about um, ancient societies tends to write the chronological story. Um, it's um, it's very difficult um, to um, to use other people's work to create a chronological story. It's, it's much more difficult when talking about medieval societies. The value of web resources is incredible it's it's unignorable so um it's true i am finding some of these episodes trickier to write and um it takes it's more time consuming to write about them but as ever and i've i've said it before i'm dedicated to writing a high quality episode each time the one thing i will not do is scrimp on quality so it's really my my goal to make every episode as good in quality as as any other episode so i don't apologize for that um this project is um going to be a comprehensive history of the world um the challenges of speaking in different languages is a tough one for me so um just a little bit about me i suppose um i speak english of course um, and I don't speak any other languages. I have knowledge of uh, Spanish, which I could probably speak to maybe A1 standard, perhaps. Um, so I understand how their alphabet works. And so therefore, pronouncing Spanish words is a lot easier for me than maybe pronouncing Hungarian words or, or Suomi Finnish words or anything like that, where I have absolutely no knowledge of, um, the tongue or the alphabet or the so the alphabet looks the same as ours but of course um, anyone that knows Spanish will know that if, if, a, if a word starts with the letter V it's often pronounced with a letter B but you wouldn't know that unless you'd been told that um, so it's, that's the most difficult thing about um, speaking different languages like in terms of European languages but then it goes on a completely new level when we're looking at Far Eastern languages. So with China, for example, and China's not even the hardest of, of them all. There's there's harder um, there's harder languages out there. With China, we're talking in tones. So um, you have like four different tones in Chinese um, where they you've got one that goes down, so you, you pronounce it ow, 
You've got one that goes up, so you pronounce it as oh. You've got one that's like a level one, so you pronounce it as oh. And then you've got one that's like a little bit of a, a wobbly one, so it goes oh. So you've got four different consonant sounds, and if you, or, or sort of vowel tones, I should say, vowel tones. Um, and um, the if if you don't use them correctly, for the native Chinese speaker, it will be confusing because um, they rely on those tonalities or those tones to understand the word that's being said. Uh, for us, that uh, where all of this is foreign, it doesn't really matter because if the host is saying a word, you'll associate that word in the way that it's being spoken with what that host is talking about rather than relating it to your own native tongue so it's very very difficult and thank god there's like resources out there now um in terms of um learning how to pronounce such things so you can actually go to youtube and and watch videos that teach you how to pronounce chinese letters and years ago you wouldn't have had that what an age we live in now with this internet age that we've we've all become you know we're all you know, most of us have, have had, had access to for the last 25, 30 years. Um, what a wealth of information that we have at our fingertips now. It's incredible. And like, there's no way that I could have made this project without those web resources, without those little web resources. Um, certainly uh, Chinese consonants are, as well are difficult. This is something I've only just been learning. So in all the episodes that I've made previously, I had no knowledge of this... Um, ability to so so you can sometimes see chinese words um that what they'll do they'll call it pinyin where they um where they anglicize they use the roman alphabet to uh, describe chinese words and how they should be pronounced and in pinyin they um they will have accents above the vowel sounds so that it gives you a clue about the tonality but often you'll see a J sound, sometimes represented by the letter J, or by the two consonants Z and H alongside each other. And they both seemingly have this J sound, but the J sound with a ZH is pronounced much in the same way that the English would pronounce it. Um, but with the um, with the the J letter being used so the zh is much like the the way that we pronounce it. but with the j letter you have to move your tongue into a different position and use j sound like so it sort of almost comes from the top of the mouth so it's very unusual um learning all of this is a challenge i've got to be honest but i don't think most of of the listeners will have any clue about it anyway the same as me so uh, but anyway that's the challenges of speaking in different languages before I go this week, I'll, I'm going to address a little bit of an elephant in the room, um, which is the lack of reviews and emails that we receive. So often uh, at the end of episodes, we got an abundance of reviews and emails and that, that doesn't seem to happen anymore. And I've been reflecting on why that might be. And if I'm honest about the podcast progress, I think maybe for the last two years, um, the acceleration in new listeners has um, has levelled out, really. So I would say that, you know, really what the, the amount of listeners 
uh, what the podcast earns from voluntary contributions um, is uh, sort of quite static, really. It neither goes up or down. And this wasn't the case in the first sort of two or three years of the podcast where things went through the roof. The amount of listeners um, accelerated um, notably. And what I think has happened is I think that everyone that has been looking for such a, a resource, a history of the world podcast, has, has, is actually now here. You're all here. And um, we're not really getting many new listeners, or certainly not at the rate that we was. Uh, you know, maybe the amount of new listeners is um, equivalent to the amount of listeners that stop listening to the podcast. So, um it's um yeah it's very interesting we don't really get a lot of reviews the the review that i read out in the main episode is the first one that i've seen come through on apple podcasts for maybe five or six weeks believe it or not um and then some weeks on the podcast i was reading out two or three reviews uh, certainly i don't get that much email correspondence because i think the people that wanted to email me mainly have, have already done it so they don't feel a, a desire to have to do it anymore so it's it's interesting to see um where we are and certainly the podcast is you know certainly not diminishing uh, but it's not really growing to any extent and um so in order to uh, grow the podcast we've moved into advertising really so which it, not everyone's a huge fan of but it's a real um it, it's a real benefit to the podcast so it's an unignorable benefit to the podcast and all of the work that goes into it it's uh, it, it's impossible to um to not look into that aspect of the podcast development anyway that's all i want to talk about i've held you up for long enough i'm sure you've got plenty to get on with now that it's the new year um all of you are going to be joining the gym i'm sure uh i'm sure you're going to be doing that all of you are going to be going on diets um and uh, i suppose all of you are going to be making promises to be nicer uh, or maybe some of you are making promises to be harder so that you stick up for yourself a bit better in 2024. But um, as ever, with all New Year's resolutions, once you get a week in, you give it up anyway and we'll go back to normal. So anyway, uh, a great pleasure speaking to you. And thank you ever, ever so much for everything you've done for the podcast in the last year and looking forward to a strong and prosperous and safe and happy 2024 thank you very much for all of your support and until next time be good